Welcome to the Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn. And I'm Eric Skelly. And this week, we're talking about Verdi's I Due Foscari, Eric. The Two Foscari, which is based on the play by Lord Byron. Uh-huh. And uh, Verdi did the music and Piave did the libretto. Right, a, a great pairing that uh, would bring us later on uh, La Traviata and La Forza del Destino. I Due Foscari is set in Venice in the middle of the 15th century and revolves around the Doge and the Council of Ten, which was the, the ruling body for Venice, which was at that point was the Republic of Venice. Exactly. And this is Verdi during his, uh, it has to be said, during his early period where he was, boy, was he prolific. <laughs> he was really churning him out in those days. He called him his galley years. Uh, but this is sort of later on in his early period where he's starting to look forward or he's... He's pointing forward. He's trying new things, suggesting what he would become as a composer in his middle and, and late periods, which is when he really, you know, came into his own and became one of the greatest composers the of all time. The that we know today. Yes, one of the greatest composers of all time. This piece, Idui Foscari, came right after he'd done Enani, which was a huge success for him. It was his first, yeah, his first international success, actually. So we have Francesco Foscari. He is the Doge of Venice. And he, if I remember rightly, was the longest-serving Doge. He'd been Doge for many, many decades. Well, we know he's an octogenarian when we meet him here, so he, it could very well be he's been in that, uh, in that position for quite a long time. His son, Jacopo, as the, the opera opens, is being tried by the Council of Ten. What has he done? Well, they say he's committed murder. He, of course, proclaims his, his innocence, and his father and his wife believe that he is, in fact, innocent. Uh, nevertheless, when he was first... Uh, convicted. Convicted, thank you. <laughs> when he was first convicted, he was sentenced to exile. Uh, and he has been in exile for quite some time, but as you would, would imagine, he missed his wife and children and his father and his, his city. So he's snuck back into the city and sadly got caught. So he's back up before the Council of Ten again, and they are considering essentially what to do with him. Right. And what his wife Lucrezia then wants the council to do is not so much to rule on what to do with him now, but to go back and look at his, his original conviction and reconsider it in, in the hopes that they will find him innocent this time around. There is an important member of the Council of Ten, important for the Foscaris, and that is uh, Jacopo Loredano. Yeah, important because he hates them. <laughs> He's their sworn enemy. He really, really hates them. Because apparently he blames the death of his father and his uncle on the Foscari. Right. And being a character in Italian opera, he, you know, is going to take that, you know, very personally and will, has made it his, his personal uh, mission in life to exact vengeance upon them. So as you say, Jacopo's wife, Lucrezia, is convinced of his innocence. Yes. And she goes to the Doge in the Doge's palace, and she asks him, she begs him to intervene. Yeah, and mind you, this is her father-in-law. 
Right. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> and, there, and therein lies the rub for the doge because as he very eloquently expresses, he has this, this war within himself between his, his duty toward the city of Venice because of the office he holds and the feelings that he has as the father of this, this man who, is, who stands accused uh, in front of him. And in fact, in Act One, the council does come back and they reaffirm their uh, punishment of exile. Yeah, yeah, they're just going to throw him out again. But Lucrezia is hoping that the Doge will be able to intervene. Of course, we've got a man here who is at the end of his life and feels that there is little that he can do. Exactly. He he ends the act in tears, which Lucrezia takes hope from that you know perhaps she can by appealing to his feelings as a father she hopes she can somehow persuade him to act on Jacopo's behalf but of course Francesco uh, feels that he's literally powerless in this situation again here's here's Verdi exploring these father son or 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 more generally parent child relationships right uh, sometimes they're father son sometimes father daughter uh, Which we see in La Traviata and Aida and you name it. Pretty much. Rigoletto. <laughs> exactly. Right. You're exactly right. Louisa Miller is another big one from the early period that uh, explores that father-daughter bond. Act two. We are in the prison where Jacopo is being held. And he is he's in a wretched state. He's sort of hallucinating. He believes he is uh, being attacked by this uh, famous soldier who was executed in Venice. And then when Lucrezia comes in to see him, he doesn't recognize her. So he's sort of out of it. Pretty much. <laughs> doesn't recognize his own wife. That's pretty, that's pretty out there. She says that she wants to join him in exile. As well as uh, bring their children along with her. If so that, can. in fact, they could essentially start a new life somewhere else. Exactly. Lucrezia is there in the prison with Jacopo, and the doge arrives. Right. And we have that poignancy of, of him, for the first time, seeing his son after the exile has been confirmed by the Council of Ten. And he says to him, look, I'm sorry, I love you, you're my son, etc., 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 but I have my duty, and my duty says that I must uphold what the council has decided. Right. And we have a wonderful trio between the two of them in which... The two of them and Lucrezia. Yes, exactly. Exactly. What is also uh, interesting here is that the Doge refers to himself as a dying man. There is really that sense that he is losing control, that he is losing not just his family, but he is losing his ability to function as Doge. He's powerless. And even his hold on, on life control over everything. Jacopo is brought back in front of the council. They tell him, we are sending you back into exile, upholding the previous judgment. And then there's this parade of people that come in. <laughs> Firstly, Jacopo says, no, please don't. <laughs> Maybe you could reconsider. Because <laughs> right. I'm innocent. Right. Then uh, the Doge is there, of course. And Lucrezia, Lucrezia comes in with the children. Right. No emotional pressure there. No. No <laughs> no melodrama here. <laughs> and she says, look, if you're going to send him into exile, I want to go as well. 
Loredano says that ain't going to happen. Not going to happen. <laughs> Why? Because he hates them. Right. <laughs> That's the end of Act Two, and we go into Act Three. It's carnival time in Venice. Right. We're, Not the it, first time that we have a Verdi opera where Act Three begins with festivities and carnival going on uh, in, in the backdrop, but something awful and tragic coming happening right on stage. We think of Traviata, for instance, where she's in her room dying and she hears the, the revelry outside in stark contrast. So you have all these masked revelers in the, the piazza in front of St. Mark's uh, Basilica, and Jacopo is there. He is on the the official state barge that is going to take him into exile. Right. And off he goes, literally and figuratively, because as we soon find out in the uh, the private rooms of the Doge, soon after learning that his son was in fact innocent, that someone else had confessed to the murder for which Jacopo was convicted, Lucrezia comes in to tell him that this news is too late, that Jacopo has in fact died. As he was leaving the bay, right. he collapsed and died on the barge. It was sort of symbolic. He's leaving his beloved Venice. He's crossing that threshold. He's no longer within the boundaries of the Republic, and he dies. Yeah, he could survive it once, but not twice. But there is this news that Barbarigo brings. Oh, Jacopo didn't do it. Sorry. Yeah. Too late. Right. So Jacopo is dead. The Doge has been able to do nothing to save him. Right. And then the Council of Ten arrives, and they ask Francesco to relinquish his role as Doge. Right. Which he, at first he bridles at the very suggestion. You know, he's, <laughs> is, he's endured what he's had to endure at their hands regarding his son, and now... On top of that, they want him to step down, and he's he sort of thinks, well, I don't think so. But I mean, they're asking him to step down because of his age, his age. and because of the fact that Jacobo's just died. And to compound that, his other children had died young in their youth. Yeah. So he's lost all of his children. All of his children, and really, he has few reasons to continue living, which of course goes back to him saying, you know, I'm, I, I'm at the end of my days. What more do I have? Exactly. But he comes round to their way of thinking, and he does. He takes off the ring. He takes off the cap, which are the, the marks of his office. As the bells of St. Mark's ring out to announce to the Republic that there is a new doge who is from the Malipiero family, Lucrezia comes in. And the opera ends with Francesco (laughs) dying. He just collapses and dies. Yeah. And Loredano says, essentially, great, I have my revenge. I win. (laughs) What a downer, huh? (laughs) It really is because in, in sort of arc, it goes from bad to worse. It really does. It does. You know, which which may explain a lot of why we don't see this opera a lot unless you have somebody like a Placido Domingo to champion it, which in the last, you know, several decades, that's really the only time that we've ever gotten to hear this piece. When a Placido Domingo or a Vladimir Chernoff or a Renato Brusson who had the clout 
to ask companies to to mount this for them said, I want you to mount this for me if you want me to appear. Uh, here's what I want to do. Uh, Placido Domingo, of course, has more clout than pretty much any opera singer alive today. So, And of course, as he has taken on baritone roles, right. then this role becomes, because Francesco is sung by a baritone, this role becomes part of his new repertoire. Exactly. Which is remarkable uh, in, in so many ways. I mean, not just because here's a man who is, he's not 80 yet, but he's in his 70s, still singing wonderfully well, which is remarkable in and of itself. But when you stop and look at his entire career, he's done this all along. As, his, as age has changed his voice, he's changed his repertoire to suit the voice that he now has. So, And what's interesting is that his celebrity, in essence, enables some of these forgotten gems to be resurrected. Which is what we would hope for from any you know, major singer who reaches that kind of, as you say, celebrity. Uh, you know, the likes of Maria Callas and Joan Sutherland and Beverly Sills all used their celebrity to champion bel canto and to revive works that we wouldn't have gotten to hear otherwise for the, in, in those realms. The likes of Renata Scotto uh, revived a lot of Verismo works that we wouldn't have otherwise gotten to hear. So similarly, Domingo is, is uh, using his celebrity to champion some early Verdi works like this, and he also has been a big champion of Sarsuela and uh, Spanish language opera that we wouldn't have otherwise heard. So that's a good thing. So musically, Eric, we see... Verdi using these sort of proto-light motifs mm -hmm. that he, he sort of attaches themes to different characters. Yeah, uh, he doesn't do it extensively. He just has some, some themes for the, for the three principal characters here, and he doesn't use them with anything approaching what, what Wagner would do with the light motif. But, but he does use them to, to recall earlier scenes and to draw perhaps ironic contrast between them. Look at where they started, look where they are now. And we already mentioned that at the center of Idui Foscari is that father-son relationship, that parent-child relationship that, that seems so important to Verdi throughout his career. Exactly. And, you know, if you're, if you're looking for a reason, you know, why should we revive this at all other than because Placido Domingo wants to... Just always remember that Verdi is one of the great composers of all time, and even second-tier Verdi is better than first-tier most anybody else. Idui <laughs> <laughs> Foscari. That's this week's Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn. And I'm Eric Skelly. Thank you for listening.